This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Product Coffee podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. All right, part two, Elon Musk taking over Twitter. We have a lot of headlines this week. It's been very noisy. Let's go over the top ones and then we can comment on each. I know that he mentioned laying off. He also mentioned he's begun laying off. I don't know if that happened before the Tuesday vesting period like we talked about or not. And then he's also mentioning working like pretty incredible hours for those that do remain. That's what I've heard. Dude, that would what have suck, you guys heard? by the way. Yeah. <laughs> What have you heard? I heard somebody like tweeted and like tweeted a photo of their boss like sleeping on the floor of the Twitter headquarters. And I was like, nah, I, I would take that. My goodness. Any other headlines outside of those that you've heard? We're recording this on Friday, November 4th. So putting that into perspective in terms of when you're Good. listening to this. What we understand or what we know is emails have been sent out within Twitter saying, hey, don't come to work right now. Stay home. Prepare for layoffs. And I don't know if those if those decisions have been finalized. I think this headline was filled, certainly in the New York Times and I'm sure elsewhere. So we'll see. I think people are are preparing for up to fifty percent cuts at the company. I don't think those have happened yet, based on what I've been able to gather. I think the other thing that I picked up on is they're changing to your points. Lou and Kevin, the hours and the expectations for the Twitter employees are changing a lot. I think they've had Monthly mental health days, they have a, a name for them, but they're effectively mental health days. Those seem to be going away. So it sounds like they're going to be asking more from fewer people. And we could debate the reasons for that, but it does not sound particularly pleasant for, for the Twitter <laughs> employees right now. It just seems like like he's intentionally trying to take this company down, right? Does anyone feel that way? <laughs> I saw another article that it was like, Elon Musk's Twitter has had a massive drop in revenue as advertisers pause spending, yes. which no surprise. <laughs> he walked I mean, into this deal saying he was going to reverse a lot of the content moderation policies. And not only were those moderation policies put in place because that's the right thing to do, but it also protected a lot of this ad revenue because mm -hmm. these advertisers did not want to place their ads next to all kinds of hate speech and misinformation and all of those things. So he kind of set himself up to fail through all of this by telling this story pre-acquisition, going through with the acquisition. And here we are. Chickens come home to roost. Do y'all think that Twitter will lose their prestige that they have or that they did have before this happened? Or like how they will retain the talent, especially with a lot of this stuff that they're implementing? Well, I can tell you one thing, and I'm I'm sure Jake's in the same camp, but uh, my company's hiring, and we are actively reaching out to those employees. And mm, hey, Twitter smart. employees, if you're interested, <laughs> come on over. 
So I, I don't think so. I don't think it'll last personally, especially the way that they've handled this so far, but that might just be my take. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of have a different perspective. I actually think when I looked at Twitter, just looking at the product as a whole, right? Every product speaks to a particular audience. And I kind of disagree a little bit with the perspective on the content moderation. I think the way that it was handled at Twitter was limiting a large amount of content and a completely different audience that Twitter could have got like taken a hold of. And I think there's a major churn of the people who were not fond of the content that was being published there. So I think opening this back up, like, let's be real. If you've got hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers and you're really actively engaging and you're bought into the platform, like you're probably not going to leave. And there's some people who probably say they will, but let's be honest, they probably won't. And there's a bunch of people I think this might reactivate and say, hey, let's let's come back to the platform. Now, they're still going to have to do some things around really ensuring that there is some content moderation, but I do think they kind of went a little too far and as a result, alienated a large segment of the population. So when we're thinking like about products, you know, a, a big product like this, I've, I haven't had a chance to work on, but any product where you have huge audiences and all of a sudden you cut out a particular type of content, you're going to cut users and you're going to cut value. It's kind of like at Ibotta, if we all of a sudden stopped supporting groceries, like we lose like half of our business or we started stop supporting soft drinks, like we lose the people who are really interested in soft drinks. I was going to say soft drinks is probably more relevant probably, than the yeah, groceries, than the... which was the primary revenue I know. source Well, I was for like, us, well, you but... could go for yeah. like a full <laughs> online play, be like online affiliate only like Rakuten and not do yeah. that, right? Sure. But if you did, you'd literally cut out a huge chunk. It was the primary <laughs> revenue, right? It was the primary value stream. I think with Twitter, it was maybe not a primary value stream. Maybe it was, I don't know. But that that is interesting. Like the note of declining in usage, like I would love to see like their year over year drop of users if that exists somewhere to analyze. And would that have triggered the decline or something else, right? Now, not just that, but some of the calls that they've been making, I know that they released paying for the blue check mark. Let's talk about that. Does anybody, I'm, I'm not really a Twitter user. So somebody's gonna have to explain the blue check mark thing. Isn't it something like Instagram too? Instagram has something like this. Yeah. It's basically, it's almost like a social distinction of someone who is a public figure gets a blue check mark. If you get a blue check mark, it's almost seemingly from a user's perspective, okay, this person's legit. Yeah, it was just kind of like social proof or like, what was the, the term for it? It's like this, yeah, award or like this medallion of like, yeah. hey, I'm popular. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was originally intended to validate the identity of that person. Like if there are 12 Joe Biden accounts, which one is the actual real Joe Biden and helping you understand like, oh, this, if I want to follow Joe Biden, then this is the account to follow. But I think in practice, it's, it's morphed into exactly what y'all are talking about. Like it is the, I'm popular and I'm cool and I have this and you don't. And it's kind of created stratification and the haves and the have nots within the, the Twitter base. So I don't know. I think it's, I have a lot of thoughts on making folks pay for all this stuff. Well, why don't we approach it from a product perspective? What's the problem that the blue check marks aiming to solve? Like it, you kind of said it originally, identity verification. So do we think that there's a better way to 
handle that? Or is there a reason we should charge for identity verification? Because that's kind of like, if it is just that, like, I mean, that would seem kind of weird. To me, that would be like, I uploaded a copy of my photo ID and proved that I am who I say I am. I don't know if though that's the right solution for it. Because like, I, I look back, like one of my friends got her account hacked and she couldn't get it back. And the solution wasn't to go buy a check mark. It was like trying to reach out to Instagram. Mm-hmm. She basically never got her account back. So I feel like, although that's the problem, I don't think this is the solution. And I think this, I don't know what this solves for, but I, I think it is being used. Yeah, so I'm looking at the requirements for this today on the Twitter help desk. It says the blue verified badge on Twitter lets people know that an account of public interest is authentic. To receive the blue badge, your account must be authentic, notable, and active. And so then they have criteria under each one of those. That's kind of interesting because our assumption was that it validated their identity. In this case, it's not at all that. Those requirements are super interesting because between the lines, it's also a motivator to continue using Twitter. Oh, they're pushing their primary use case. You got it, right? Like it's a social status mechanism. And for the people who care about social status, i.e. public figures and celebrities, this is a way to get them engaged on Twitter so they can earn that status mark. Well, that makes so much more sense. What do you think notable means? Like notable in terms of like how many followers they have? (laughs) I'll tell you. News coverage, (laughs) Google Trends, Wikipedia. So they need to provide a link to a stable Wikipedia article about you or your organization. That meets that criteria. It's like all these things, right? So they're kind of pushing the sense of exactly what Jake is talking to the primary use case of Twitter, but also the primary value target customer that they're looking to continue to push for this behavior. So they're identifying their audience with notable and authentic, right? And then they're pushing for use with the action of getting a check, right? And the active sense here, which is complete profiles, active use. It says at the time of application, you've been logged in the last six months. There's probably some posting policy too, right? But I think it sounds like two, like there's kind of two problems mixed in one. One, I love the idea of like social gamification and social badges. Like I don't use those. I've, I've used Imager forever and like. I thought it was like the coolest thing when I got like my bronze award and, you know, your status updates and like you get to like the top tier status, which is quote glorious. And I thought that was like super epic. And it's like a cool way to like drive retention in the platform. But it sounds like there's by this being somewhat arbitrary or like hard to verify. Like it sounds like they could do two different things, like verify who I say I am, but then at the same time still give me that like gamified, like social, I want to be popular badge. I think what Musk is trying to do with this call is like not now you're still driving because they're still getting a badge, but turning it blue, they're actually monetizing those active users now in a way that they weren't previously. And so there was some value to getting more of these blue badges because that drives more use of the platform. But now on top of that, how can we monetize the users that are driving the usage and the value? So in increasing ARPU, right? Average revenue per user, is that right? Yeah, I think so. They're increasing that for their primary users. Do you think he actually cares about the revenue that are going to come from the blue check marks? Or do you think he's doing it more just as a way to like piss off the establishment? Ah, that's the question. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's both. <laughs> But I think he really does care about the revenue because he's in a big hole and he needs to figure out how to make money stacks. I think he took on a ton of debt to make this deal happen. And my understanding is he's looking at $1 billion per year in interest payments. 
So he's got to figure out how to make this business work a little bit more efficiently than I think it has in the past. Wait, so with this blue check, you have to meet those requirements and pay for it? Or you just have to pay for it? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know. Because imagine then just paying for yeah. it. I feel like everyone's going to pay for it. And Will then they? at that point... I don't know. I, yeah. I think there's an element. Because if right now there's a level of prestige with it. So maybe there's maybe, a short maybe. window where... Yeah. There's this, okay. Then it gets too saturated and well, then no one cares about it anymore. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe it's a... It could be a revenue stream, but I mean, it's like... If we look at the social media model, the social media like business model is fundamentally get a ton of people, get them commenting and writing stuff and engaging with your site and engaging with others, and then basically throw ads on top of it. Like that's more or less been like what the mm -hmm. the sponsored or like the the social media model is. So I wonder if it's like, is that going to be significant enough to monetize the blue check mark, or does he just need to start thinking about ways to cultivate more and more content on the platform? Because that's all that's going to matter at the end of the day. Yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons to that. I think it's actually wise for him to figure out new sources of revenue. I think he's playing with fire a little bit, though, because I don't think everybody's going to pay for it. I think a big part of the Twitter identity has been kind of how much of a free-for-all public square it's been. And when you start introducing your paywall, that continues to expand on the haves and the have-nots and you kind of create classes of citizens within Twitter. I think I think they'll find significant revenue, but I think he's going to find that a lot of people bail at the same time, especially when you start when you start going into all the different things he's been floating out in the interwebs of what that blue check mark product would include. It's kind of interesting. Like not really sure how many product people he's actually talking to when he's doing this. It seems a little bit off the cuff. Yeah. Like if you look at it from a positive perspective, you are removing the content regulation or the, the auditing of the content, uh, opening that up. So you're widening the funnel of passive voyeurs, right? That, that are kind of utilizing the platform, driving more eyeballs essentially, right? Because you're going to drive more audience and more of a pool there. And now you're further separating or building these layers of hierarchy within that ecosystem now to drive further behavior in different ways. Could it work? Yeah, I think so. That'd be interesting. I mean, the risk there that is, you know, now people do leave because of the content moderation going away, but you would assume like, hey, you want content moderation, pay for it, maybe, right? Like there's probably some, you know, some idea there that they're concocting to have different kind of segmented uh, experiences, right? I think it's going to fundamentally change Twitter as a product. And it and that'll have all sorts of ramifications. But I think the other thing here is that it's really the first social media, major social media platform that's going to involve pay to play. And that I think is also from a consumer and user perspective. I think that's going to have some pretty interesting impact as well. Unless I'm missing one. Like, is there a big one out there where you have to pay I, to play? I don't really think this changes it to pay to play, really. Like, yeah. I think he's changing a function of Twitter, but I don't think he's changing the overall aspect of Twitter. Like, if you don't want to pay for that, like, I don't, it doesn't seem like in anything that I've read on it that it fundamentally changes the functionality or your experience at yeah. all, really, other than. Maybe what I could see is like, I mean, here's, okay, here's a world like where I could see this being like valuable, right? Let's say that you have a million followers on Twitter. Like that's an asset. You do not want to lose that asset. Like 
ever because you have your own ability to do marketing, branding, et cetera, on those accounts. So why not charge a fee, kind of like a YouTube premium that basically adds extra layers of security to your account, a redundant method of verification so that you are only you. And if you get hacked, like nobody can take your account and you maybe add some level of like, yeah, you do get that badge that says, I am this person who I say that I am. Like that to me actually sounds like a very valid product that probably would mm. not impact like the rest of the Twitterverse, right? Because like for me, yeah. even if I got on there and let's say I got on there, I'm sure you guys probably wouldn't even follow me because you wouldn't even think I'm that interesting. So for my whole two followers, that's probably like Leah and she probably would ignore me. Like I wouldn't care about that. But if I was, you know, way bigger, I probably would. Like if you're, if Madia said like her friend lost her Instagram account and you put a whole lot mm. of work and effort into that and they can't verify you to like give it back. Oh, that would suck. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Let's talk about the product managers through all this and the product folks. Given kind of all this swirl and the impending acts coming down and major cuts likely coming, what do y'all think? Like, how would you, I know last time we talked about this a week ago, we were starting to talk about the mission and figuring out your why and, and trying to kind of separate those things. Like, does that perspective change given what we know today and, and where the company seems to be going? I think, you know, if you, if you're looking at it as I, I made this comment, even to some people that I was talking to mentoring wise is like, there's what the business is doing. And then there's the, how it impacts you as an individual and in your day to day. And it's all about your ability to either be okay with that or to recognize that that's not a change. That's, that's good for me. I don't know. Maybe there are some people who, like we said, in the product verse who maybe never wanted to work at Twitter and maybe these changes are hyper exciting to them. And as a result, that group's going to be interesting going at the same time. I can also imagine that this is a good point of reflection for any person in the product world that's at Twitter to say, hey, do I like where this could be potentially be going? Am I going to win out if this is going to be the case? Am I going to enjoy my working experience? And if the answer is like, yeah, maybe you try to stay and ride the ride. Otherwise, you know, as you said, two, then potentially three of the people on this call are going to be hiring in the very near future. And um, sup? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. No, I, I same. I think you should always kind of put, you know, in your professional career, you should have these checkpoints that you validate your situation currently. And, and the way to do that is maybe your, your career vision, right? Like what's your long term? Where do you want to be in 20 years? I love using that as kind of like a guiding principle. It's like, what does your life look like in 20 years personally, not just professionally? And then what is that next step that you need to take to get there and make sure that you're able to do that in your current situation. So those checkpoints, I love to do like six months, depending on the organization, right, to a year. And then you you reflect, you carve out an hour or two and you look at your, I love using a resume as a source of documentation as a record. So you can kind of look at your resume and like your top four bullet points and you could say, what am I proud about? Did I knock any off? Did I, you know, move any up? What do I want to do in the next six months? Do I want to completely clean these out because I had four that are just crushing it even more than this? 
What does that look like? And then that's just a way to kind of just be more aware of your surroundings and take like an in the moment approach to say, is this environment the right thing for me? Is it hopeful? Do I want to invest the next six months of my life into this place, this career? And then once you're at that place where you you are, you got to commit, right? It's like, I know it's going to be turbulent if you're in Twitter, right? Like it's going to be crazy. It's probably going to be a lot of press. There's probably going to be even more of these decisions, probably more layoffs, right? And like, do I want to personally go through that in the next six months? Yes or no, right? And then if not, then try to find your next opportunity. And if so, commit, you know, really commit during this time. Yeah. And I think I have a lot of thoughts on this because especially being earlier on in my career, I don't think people teach you that as much. Like I never knew the idea of every six months, like, you know, just see, see where you're at and kind of see how your skills transfer. And I think to lose point, you know, in your career, there's always these inflection points of like kind of looking at what you've accomplished, what opportunities you see, who you've been working for. Is this aligned with where you see your growth and in your career? And I think something that's even helped me is like just talking, networking with people and talking and seeing what's out there, like what kind of companies are out there, especially being earlier on, you can kind of get pigeonholed of like, okay, well, this is the only type of product there is. There's nothing else like it. Like, or this is the only type of engineering team that I'll ever expect at anywhere else. And the more you talk with other people, the more you understand that it's very different. And every company has very different challenges. And what's your appetite to those challenges? So I'm, I'm learning that as I go. Love it. Let's leave our listeners with some homework for the week based on this conversation. I love the career vision stuff. That would be my recommendation. Think about that. I love to do it like with your family or your spouse or, or your partner, right? Sitting down, what's your 20-year vision look like? Just so, so helpful. And it's a good exercise to have, but that's what I would have. Lou, what do you got? Spend time not on social media. <laughs> if there's any like takeaway, like there's a whole wide world out there. Maybe ignore Twitter a little bit. Go, go on a hike. Oh, that's... Love it. I, I kind of feel like the the happiest day, the happiest days I have sometimes are when I'm not paying attention to social media. But then on a, a more serious career note, like you know, the market this is a down. There is a market downturn. This is a recession. I'd highly encourage people to think about products that I don't want to call them recession proof because no company truly is. But there are certain categories and things of products that are going to be able to ride out you know, these, uh, these market dips better than others. And you might want to ask yourself the question, like, am I part of one of those? What's the advantage of being part of a company like that? If I'm not, should I be? And because there are businesses and like, you know, we've recognized, you know, some, you know, I've seen this in a few companies now, right? Like if you're a nice to have product and then the market dips, guess what? People don't want to pay for nice to have products when the market's down. So you know, something to think about as product manager and for both products you're working on too. I bought it helps people save money every day and we're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> My homework for everybody is kind of go back to what we talked about last week is try to, try to hone in on your why. What problem do you care about? I think one question to ask yourself is what pisses you off 
And think about that for a bit and you're probably on the right track. <laughs> Love that. I feel like I'm taking all these notes for, for my homework as well. <laughs> but I would say my advice that my boss told me is to always look out for yourself. At the end of the day, like these are businesses and you have to evaluate if this is an organization that you want to work for. So it, it's really you looking after you and always remember that when you're at your job. Love that mission amidst the chaos, right? Remain core to it. Remain core to what that personal mission is. Thank you all for joining this week. Looks like we finished up our coffees, so go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.